Well, good evening. My name is Steve Miner, and I'm glad to be with you. I preach for the church in Wiley, Texas, and so we're not far from you, and we're glad uh, that you're tuning in tonight, and I want to thank the elders. We hope to see you there. Well, good evening. My name is Steve Miner, and I'm glad to be with you. I preach for the church in Wiley, Texas, and so we're not far from you, and we're glad uh, that you're tuning in tonight, and I want to thank the elders here at McDermott Road, and especially Wes, for keeping in contact and uh, setting all this up. Thank you for doing this. Tonight, at this point, I want to talk to you uh, for a few minutes about the second letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. I want you to imagine yourself in a position that young Timothy finds himself in at this point, maybe around 67-ish A.D., something like this. Timothy longing to hear from his mentor, longing to hear from his friend. Rumors had it that Paul had been arrested and taken to Rome. Those rumors were spreading. And then one day a fellow worker arrives with a letter from the Apostle Paul. With trembling fingers, you, you, you're Timothy, and you unroll the scroll and begin to read, and your worst fears are confirmed. Paul's letter tells of his imprisonment and his suffering. He writes also in the letter of being forsaken and being really lonely, and it's clear that he expects to be executed, chapter 4, verse 6. And then he pleads with you to come see him soon, chapter 4, verse 9 of 2 Timothy. This letter, this beautiful letter, probably Paul's last letter, has been called Paul's tear-stained letter. It's emotional, it's tearful, it's personal. It's full of faith, though, and it's full of challenges. And Paul begins... Actually, this letter with taking joy in Timothy's faith. And let me read it to you, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting verse 3 through 5. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Mark that. Highlight that. The genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I'm also persuaded, is in you. You see, Paul points out to Timothy that he sees his genuine faith and he knows where he got it from. This word for genuine in the original language, it actually means undisguised or sincere, without hypocrisy. It's the faith that is honest. It's the faith that is full of integrity. It's a faith that is consistent. It's a faith that's authentic. It's the faith that we need. It's the faith that I'm looking for, that I want, that I know that you want tonight. During this lesson, I want to give you three challenges found in this second letter to Timothy that I think will very much yield a genuine faith, a faith that, that Timothy had from his mother, from his grandmother, 
And that faith will grow in our hearts as, as we're tested. And it's right, right in the middle of the world that we're living in, the world that we know to be full of uncertainty and lots of division. And so here's where I want to go with you. Number one is this. I want to challenge you to hold fast to the word. I think Paul challenges Timothy in this. That's number one tonight. Hold fast to the word. This idea of holding fast to the word gives us the concept of holding fast to sound words or, or healthy words. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Listen to it as we read. He says, hold fast or retain the pattern of sound words, which you heard from me in faith and in love, which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, he says, to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So he's given this last charge to, to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he tells him to hold fast. This word means to, to retain or to, to grip, to cling to. And then he uses the word guard, which is actually a stronger word than retain. To guard means to protect this treasure that's been given to you. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul calls the gospel, the treasure, that we are earthen vessels, that we are jars of clay, and that we're supposed to be um, displaying this treasure. And so Paul tells Timothy, I want you to retain it, hold fast to it, and guard it with careful measure. You ever, you ever taken a blanket or maybe a pacifier or a favorite toy away from a baby? I don't suggest you do that, but if you ever have, they, you're going to learn that they quickly identify with that object, and they cling to it, right? That blanket or whatever it is, they're holding fast to that, and that's the thought here, that you hold fast to the Word of God and let it become a part of you, a part of you. Is that what we're doing so I'm challenging you tonight to hold fast, to grip, if you will, the word of God in your life, in your personal life, so that it becomes a part of you. I'm going to read to you what John R.W. Stott said. This is good stuff. This is what he says, quote, The authentic gospel has never really been popular. It humbles the sinner too much. And when we're called to suffer for the gospel... We're tempted to trim it, to eliminate the elements which give offense and cause opposition, to mute the notes which jar the sensitive modern ears. But we must resist that temptation, for above all, we are called to guard the gospel, keeping it pure whatever the cost, preserving it against every corruption. Guard it faithfully. Spread it actively Suffer for it bravely. This is our threefold duty, end of quote. I like that because the idea is take the gospel as a whole, don't let go of it, and let it transform your life and you give that gospel, no matter the suffering that comes with it, give that gospel over to others. And he talks about also within this first point, I want you to hold fast to what's been taught, to what you've been taught as a child, and so we go to our text here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. He says, But you must continue in the things that you've learned and been assured of, 
knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood. From childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, for faith, or through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures God breathed, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he tells him to... Here's how you hold on, or here's what you hold on to, and that's the Holy Scriptures that was given to you uh, when you were a little boy. And he also tells him to hold fast to the word because others will let it go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of its hearers, But be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of others. He's saying, listen, Timothy, you need to hold fast to it when others are not holding fast to it. And then lastly, within this first point, hold fast and spread the word, even when others don't want to hear it. Even when others don't want to hear it. Second Timothy Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, here's what uh, Paul charges him with. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in the ki- and, the, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure this sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and turn aside to myth. Listen, Timothy, there are going to be people who don't want to hear what you have. They don't want to see the treasure. They don't want to own the treasure that you have. Preach it anyway. Hold fast to it anyway and deliver it to them at whatever cost. I love what David said in the Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 11. For your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This psalm is so great because it it contains the best thing, your word, in the best place in my heart for the best reason, to not sin. That's why we need to be holding fast to the word of God. Jerry Vines once said this or wrote this, An unread Bible is like food uneaten, a love letter never read, a buried sword, a road map unstudied, and gold never mined. And so the Word of God needs to be written on our hearts. We need to cling to it. We need to hold fast to it. And we need to make sure that's a part of our personal life. Let's go to number two now. The second challenge for you this evening. I want to challenge you to endure while here on earth. I think this is the second message that's in this book, that's in this letter to Timothy, is that you're going to face difficult times, and I want you to endure. This, this word for endurance is a word for grit. It's a word for determination or fortitude, a finishing power, the, the power to go ahead and cross the finish line. So there's two or three things that Paul points out as far as endurance goes. The first one is really strong. 
And I want you to get this one. Grace is your strength, is my strength for enduring hardships. It's the grace of God. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 5, he goes on and says this, But you be sober in all things and endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He's encouraging Timothy during Paul's last days. He's making sure it's kind of like this idea that I said to my son the other day when he, uh, we were in the, in, the, in the driveway. He's about to get in his car. It's all loaded. He's fixed to go to college for his second year. And I said, Mason, above everything else, you know, using, stealing from Solomon, Above everything else, Mason, guard your heart, right? Proverbs 4. Paul is saying, Timothy, listen, above everything I've told you, hold fast to the word of God and endure while you live on this earth because there's going to be times of testing in your life. The other point that he draws out in this second letter is that there is a blessed outcome to the one who endures, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, this is a faithful or trustworthy saying that if we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we're going to reign with him. And so we throw that question out. Do you want to reign with Jesus? Then we have to endure. And then Paul displays this endurance and he proves that God is faithful. I want to draw your eyes to 2 Timothy 3 now, verses 10 through 11. Or 10 through 12. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. He says, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as has happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, watch this, and out of them, out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Out of all of these things that have happened to me, I endured the grit, the fortitude to be tenacious. And you know what happened? The Lord was faithful. He rescued me. You're going to go through this, Timothy. You're going to go through persecutions and sufferings, and you need to endure. And Christian, you are too. You're a disciple of Jesus. And along with that comes times that you may be mocked or to be made fun of or persecuted or suffering or, or just lonely, alone. You're making decisions to not do what the world does. And it puts you at odds with the world sometimes. And so you're going to go through hardships. You need to endure. Through different lust and temptation, you need to endure. Enemies and loneliness and financial difficulties and relationship struggles and conflict. You need to be tenacious. You need to endure fortitude. I want to end this point right here with Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. You know it well. It comes uh, right after Hebrews 11. That's good to know tonight, isn't it? All of these heroes of faith. By faith, Noah built the ark and so on. And then he goes... 
because of all of these men and women, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And here's what he says. Lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles you. Let us run this race with endurance. That word race is, we get our English word agony from it. It's agonos or something like that. It's, it, in other words, the race is a difficult time. And yet, I want you to run this race with endurance. But how do I do it? We know how. Because he goes on, verse 2 of Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus. Fixing your eyes, focusing your heart on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who did the very thing for you, right? Because he goes on, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured so that you can endure. And so the idea is that we fix our eyes on Jesus and whatever comes, keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on the cross and you will endure. Okay, here's the third thing that I want to give you tonight with this letter. I wish we had time to read it all the way through. Please do that later in your, in your uh, personal Bible study. But here's the third t- thing. I challenge you to finish strong. To finish strong today. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. He's, he's giving him, can you imagine Timothy reading these words and the tears rolling down his cheeks and dripping onto this scroll and listening to these words right here from already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, as kings would do at the end of the party, at the end of the week, they would pour their drinks out going, okay, this party's over, right? We're ending this. That's the idea. I'm, I'm being offered as a drink Poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Can you say that today I'm finishing strong? That I'm fighting the good fight? I am finishing the race. I'm keeping the faith. You know, um, it pains me to think of this thought, and I, and I hope we can turn this around, but according to Scripture, according to history, the history of God's people, uh, seemingly many Christian men don't finish the race. And the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, if there's anybody I want there with me, It's you. It's you, and you've got a genuine faith to do this. I'm going to finish. Timothy, I want you to finish. But lots of men don't. You know, I know you've heard of Billy Graham, and and I'm not condoning some of his teachings or whatever, but I want to make a point with you, so hang in here with me. But have you heard of his two friends, Bron Clifford or Chuck Templeton? So... Billy Graham wasn't the only one preaching to packed auditoriums in 1945. Chuck and Braun were also doing the very same thing at the same time. All three of these men were in their 20s. Chuck was called the most gifted, Chuck Templeton, was called the most gifted and talented young man in America for preaching at that time. Both Templeton and Graham ministered for Youth for Christ, huge organization, Chuck Templeton was named as one of the men best used by God by the National Association of Evangelicals. 
Bron Clifford, who was a gifted 25-year-old fireball, preached to literally thousands at a time in his day. You probably hadn't heard of him, though. He preached down here at Baylor University at Chapel years ago, and the president actually ordered class bells to be turned off so that this young man could preach uninterrupted, and he did. For two hours and 15 minutes, this 20-year-old preached, and he kept those students on the edge of their seat when he preached on the subject of Christ and the philosopher's stone. All three men, passionate and gifted for preaching, but within a five-year period, Chuck Templeton left the ministry to pursue radio and television and became an atheist. Lee Strobel interviewed him. I listened to the interview a few, several years ago. And, and I will tell you, when Chuck opens his mouth and starts speaking, it just, he's one of those guys that just draws you in emotionally and intellectually. But he turned to atheism because of a Time magazine that he saw of a woman in Africa holding her dead baby. And the, the title of the magazine years ago was If They Only Had Rain or something like that. The idea was the God who gives rain could just give some rain to this area of Africa and these babies would survive. And Chuck Templeton turned his back on the Lord. In 1954, Bron Clifford lost his family, his ministry, his health, and then his life. Alcohol and financial irresponsibility had done him in, and he ended up leaving his wife and their two Down syndrome children. He ended up dying of cirrhosis of the liver in a rundown motel on the edge of Amarillo. And preachers in Amarillo took up a collection for his burial. It's a race they started, but they didn't finish. My question for us today is, are you going to finish this race? Are you determined to finish the race today? Dr. Howard Hendricks, back in the 90s, you'll probably remember this, did a study of 246 men in full-time ministry who experienced personal moral failure within a two-year period. In other words, almost 250 men derailed within 24 months of each other. And his research found, Dr. Hendricks' research found, after interviewing them, every one of them had been involved in sexual immorality. In other words, almost 250 men in ministry got ambushed by another woman and they left their faith. You see, Timothy is a man whose faith was passed on by his mother and his grandmother. Praise God for that. And that faith enabled him, equipped him, and inspired him to finish strong. Just like the words that Paul, his father of the faith, has given him. We need to finish strong today. We need to have the kind of genuine, not, not just a general faith, right? James 2, um, demons had a general faith. They, they knew Jesus was son of God. That's not enough. This is a genuine, this is a faith that is authentic, right? That, that we are holding so close to God's word that we have a relationship with the word because it's foolish to us, for us to think that we can have a relationship with God Almighty and not have a relationship with with the word, because it's really one and the same. Jesus is the word. And so I'm trying to encourage you tonight to have that kind of genuine faith. I wrote this quote out this morning. I decided to put it up on the screen for you. So I hope it's there. It's there. It's not how good you look at church or how you make it every time that the doors are open. I can't wait for them to be opened again, right? 
or how much money you put in the collection plate or how many classes you teach or the number of baptisms you had. The question is, will you finish strong? You can have all of that and never finish the race. My wife and I, several years ago, participated in the funeral of a Eunice. It was my grandmother. All of us called her Big Mama. She wasn't that big. I'm not sure why we called her that, but that's, she's a southern lady, and that's what we called her. She was my grandmother on my dad's side. She raised five children while her, while her husband was a mean alcoholic. She held fast to God's word. She endured hardship, and she finished strong till the day she died. Papa later, because of her faith, Papa later become, became a Christian, a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary because of the faith of, of Big Mama. You see, her faith was given to her by Mama Kent out in Elk City, Oklahoma, her mother. That faith was passed down from Mama Kent to Big Mama to my father who passes his faith on to me, and I'm determined today to pass my faith on to my children, our three children, and that's our goal, isn't it? To make sure that our children and our grandchildren see what authentic genuine faith, a robust faith looks like. But the way to do that is that we hold fast to the word, that we endure while we're on earth, and that we're determined this very day to finish strong. Thank you for letting me be a part of this series. I appreciate and love you all. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Let's pray as we conclude. Father, please help us to intimately stay connected to your word. Father, help us to, as hardships and trials come to fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross. And Father, today, this very day, help us to finish strong in our faith so that we one day can lay on our deathbed and remind those around us that we love that we have finished the race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.